Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. And if you are new with us, a special welcome to you. Uh, this is our sixth week in this new location. So in some ways, we're all new. And so if you are new, this is a great time to join us in the midst of the summer in Phoenix. Amen. Amen. We got some AC blowing. Uh, fan yourself. Do what you can. Um, before we get into the sermon today, we're going to do something really special. We're going to pray for a family in our church. So I'm going to invite them up now. The Frankie family, would you guys go ahead and come up? Would you guys welcome them up with me as they do that? <laughs> Stephen and Nicole and uh, Micah and Skylar and Madden, all of them, it's been a family effort uh, since the beginning of our church. We're about three and a half years old as a church, have served uh, in and through Phoenix Bible faithfully. Uh, they've served in all sorts of areas. As I tried to write them out, I couldn't think of them all. Right? What area have you guys not served in uh, since you've been here? And uh, we're really thankful for that. And over the last several months, uh, we've been talking the, uh, uh, as well as they've been talking to God and, and others and just feeling called over and over to a specific neighborhood in downtown Phoenix called the Garfield neighborhood. And they just feel called to be missionaries there. And uh, maybe even see out of that a church rise up there, specifically to that uh, target people group, to that demographic, to the needs in that area. And, and they just feel called to go do that. And so uh, they've served faithfully in our church for three and a half years. So we want to celebrate them. Amen. Uh, and we also want to send them. Uh, we want to commission them and, and say God's just not doing a work in Phoenix Bible Church. He's doing a work through Phoenix Bible Church and around Phoenix Bible Church. And they are a big part of that. So we want to pray for them in a moment, but for now, Stephen, I would love for you to share just how uh, these guys can pray for you and, and your family. Amen. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, there's a certain amount of nervousness <laughs> doing something like this, coming up with the words. Um, what I can tell you is over the last several days, it's been flooded with memories. Um, that's usually what happens when you're thinking about what do you say, and um, unbelievable, incredible memories just over the last three and a half years. Um, everything from this cross, like walking in <laughs> and seeing that and being reminded of that on a weekly basis uh, to just the family that's here, um, which is absolutely incredible. And it crescendoed a couple of months ago with Skylar and Micah being baptized, um, which was truly special. And just hearing everybody come around them was, I mean, it just brought life. And um, those are things that will never be taken away. We're so thankful for that. Um, and I was thinking about it even up on stage when I did have to come up on stage. It was to do announcements. And one of the things I always said was, this is a family. Like when I welcome new people coming in, I'm like, you're going to experience that. You're going to see that right up front. This is a family. Get plugged in to that family. And that's how we felt in so many different ways. And we're just so thankful for that. Pastor Tim, Jaya, everybody that's here, that's been here, um, through all that, we're just thankful for it. So... Um, going forward, prayer request. Um, the biggest thing is, is that God is doing something in the kids' lives, uh, kids and teenagers' lives in Garfield right now, and it's really special. It's something that is unprecedented and something we haven't seen before, but um, at a camp just a few weeks ago, 30 uh, teenagers gave their lives to Christ. That's 30 of 32. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. Um, yeah. And so... We know, we know that we get them for an hour, hour and a half a week, uh, and then they go back to homes that are sometimes broken and shattered. And so our prayer is, is that 
that all of you would pray for those families, the entire family unit, soften their hearts. Um, they've, for some reason, it's been hard to reach them in the past, but we believe God's going to do something different um, through something that is very much focused just on them. And so just your continued prayers on that, that God would soften hearts and that these parents would come and want to join their kids and see what is this, what is this Christ that, that you speak of uh, that's been doing amazing things in your life. So that's our prayer. Again, we're just thankful and humbled, and we love you guys, so thank you. Well, thanks for sharing. We love you guys, too. Stephen and Nicole, we love you. Micah, Skylar, Madden, we love you guys very much. And this is, uh, this is a celebration, but it's also sad as well. Uh, but we, we honestly believe you guys um, are called to this. You've been called Phoenix Bible. Now you're called to this. And God's going to move mightily in and through you. And so we're going to pray for that. Would you guys pray alongside Ron? One of our leaders is going to come up and and pray for us. Would you lift a hand out just symbolically just to let them know you're supportive and you're praying over them in this moment? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love the Frankie family. And beyond that, we know that you love them at an even deeper level. And we know that you have given them a heart and a uh, concern and a burden for the Garfield area. Lord, we ask that you would make their ministry fruitful, Lord, that you would uh, enable the Holy Spirit to reach out through Stephen, through Nicole, through the kids, Lord, to reach these, uh, these uh, broken uh, home, these children, these parents, all who need to know Jesus. We just ask that they would be given boldness and courage and uh, confidence to uh, serve you and serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you guys celebrate them one more time? Um, well, as we get into the sermon, we are uh, in a worship series. We're in part two of that series. Uh, Guy and Red, John 4, 13 through 24. If you have a Bible, uh, stay there. If you didn't grab a Bible earlier, there's two tables at the back. Grab one of those. Take one of those. Uh, pull it up on your phone. Get God's word in front of you. We always say this, uh, but we can't say it too much. The power of this morning is not in my words. It's in the word of God. And so we'd love for you to get God's word in front of you. Uh, as we are in part two of this series last week, uh, we, we talked about that you can't talk about worship without talking about glory. That, that worship is the fitting response to the glory of God. And so we talked about the glory of God. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at a conference with my wife, and I went into the lobby to get some water. And I filled uh, two waters up, and I filled them pretty full. And then I had to navigate a crowd in that lobby to get back to my wife. And, and I was doing pretty well, had these two glasses of water, and I came up on this one little circle, this one little small group conversation, and it's like many you have probably run into before, and they're fully engaged in discussion. Right, they're laughing, it's a dy dynamic, engaging conversation, and I, I'm maneuvering around that, I'm kind of doing a good job, and I see one guy who's fully engaged, fully overwhelmed by this conversation, and he starts to lean back, ha, 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 and I'm like, ah, got the waters right and I see it coming you've been there and he he bumps into me I couldn't avoid it right God's glory is a little bit like that right no matter how hard you try no matter how hard you try to avoid get around it you can't get around the glory of God 
It's too massive. It's too weighty. It's too brilliant. The only fitting response is worship. Uh, That we are wired to worship God. It's why the longest book of the Bible is the Psalms. 155 chapters, songs of praise. That's what psalm means. 155 songs. God's telling us something. God's telling us something with our our bodies, even just the way he designed us, that we have built-in sound amplifiers, vocal cords. We have built-in percussions with our hands. God has created you and I, designed us to worship, to to have our, our minds awakened to the truth of the gospel of God's word, to have our hearts stirred, our hands reaching out, to worship in response to the glory of God. Now, that's our identity. It's not just our activity. That's who we are. We are worshipers. So if we don't worship the glory of God, we'll worship something else. We'll give our time and devotion, our affection to something else. We'll do it at a concert. We'll do it at, in our career. We'll do it with our favorite movie. We'll do it with a relationship. We'll do it somewhere, but you will worship. It's not if, it's what. And so Jesus, as we read our passage today, he gets to this as he talks about at the end of the passage, true worshipers. What makes a true worshiper? And so we're going to talk about that as we dig into this today. So John 4 Uh, 13 through 24, we're going to start in verses 13 through 15. Our first point today is this, if you take notes, that true worship doesn't settle. True worship doesn't settle. Uh, Some background to this, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Samaritan and woman are two really important words for you to notice. The reason is because Jesus was a Jew, Jesus was a man, And a man in that day, in that culture, didn't just go up and talk to another woman one-on-one. That was scandalous to do that. What was even more scandalous is for a Jew, a Jewish man, to talk to a Samaritan woman. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And so I love this about Jesus is most people would go around this town where the Samaritan woman was at the well. Jesus went through it. Most people would just go to the well, get some water, and leave. Jesus engaged this Samaritan woman, so scandalous, engaging this woman in conversation. And just by doing that, Jesus busts up every cultural norm in that day. Don't you just love Jesus? He still does that in our day, just so you know. He is breaking down walls and barriers and cultural, ethnicity, racial barriers in our culture today. We can do that by having a conversation. Jesus did it by having a conversation. As we look forward, we see it's not just any conversation. Verse 13 through 15, notice the text. Jesus gets into some weighty stuff, but he does so a little bit craftily. He does so with an illustration that's really nearby the well itself. He begins to contrast regular water that you would get from a well that will make you thirsty again with a living water. He says this living water is different than that water. It will be like a spring welling up to eternal life. 
you won't thirst again if you taste that water. What Jesus is doing is contrasting the important with the eternal, good with God. Do you see that? Water, important, good. But compared to the majesty of God, it's minuscule. And so Jesus is trying to show the woman and trying to show us that what we worship should be above surface level. That what we worship shouldn't just be important. That what we worship shouldn't just be good. It should be God. Earlier this week, um, I, like many of you, on July 4th, celebrated our nation's independence by blowing stuff up. Right? Fireworks on July 4th. I did some fireworks with some friends. We came home with the kids. We did them in our street. And we had all kinds of fireworks. We had the flashy ones. We had the ones that just, like, shine a light and make you have a seizure. We had even a grand finale. It was amazing. Right? But you know what my kids were most amazed by? The snake firework. Have you seen this one? If you haven't, you're not missing out on anything. It's basically something that you light on fire, and, and here's what happens. You light it on fire, and slowly it oozes out what looks to be poop. But the makers of the firework geniusly called it a snake. And my kids, we have all these flashy, noisy, grand finale fireworks, and they're most amazed with the poop firework. Right? And as you experience something like that, and as we experience things like that in life, when something minuscule takes our attention, our time, our devotion, instead of something majestic, when we see that, we think, why is that? Like, how does that happen? And then we realize we do this all the time, That we have a majestic God in front of us, before us, the glory of God shining above us and over our lives. And and we take that and we give some, some time devotion to that every once in a while, maybe Sunday, one hour a week. Maybe we open up our Bible, pray with the kids before we go to sleep at night. But then... The majority of our lives, our time, our devotion is given to things like a diet and exercise. We think, man, that, that's majestic. It's beach season. If I could just slim down, if I could just eat right, then everything would work. We think social status. I mean, if I could just get people to approve of me, to validate me on social media or in real life. Because social media is not real. Um, You'll get that later, but social status, diet, exercise, career, family, good kids, whatever it is for you, we we take a majestic thing, God, the glory of God, and we focus, set our minds, attention, our hearts, affection on minuscule things, just like my kids do when they're looking at this firework, and I'm like, guys, there's some other better, more brilliant colors to, to gaze at. We all do this. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I would say we, we far too often settle. And here's the danger of that. It's not just sad when we settle. Like sad, like, oh, you're, 
You're looking at the wrong firework, buddy. Look at the right one. That's so sad, right? It's not like just sad when people like give their, all their time, all their affection, all their devotion to their career. It's not just sad when people do that. It's, it's tragic. Ravi Zacharias said this. He said, the loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and it lets you down. And here's the reality. We don't need Ravi Zacharias to tell us that. You don't need me to preach that. Our culture preaches this. Jim Carrey, the great theologian of the 1990s, <laughs> said this, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they'd see it wasn't the answer. A little bit more tragic, the CEO of Freddie Mac during the 2008 economic crisis hanged himself. Even recently, if you pay attention to the news at all, you've seen seemingly successful people in their lives. Why? Why does that happen? Doesn't a part of you think like, why, not you, like why, why does this happen? How does this happen? Well, they set their time and their devotion on some minuscule things instead of the majestic thing. They were satisfied with regular water, but they never had the living And so Jesus is trying to stir the woman at the well, your heart and mind as well today, this morning, not to be satisfied with those things. It's not just sad. It will be tragic in your life if you give your life, if you give your treasure, if you give your talent to anything else but God. Isaiah 42, 8 says it this way. God says it this way. My glory I will not give to another. Listen, that, that's why. Nothing else is as glorious as God. Nothing else is as worthy of God. So when you give your time, affection, devotion to these other lesser gods, you are not just possibly going to be disappointed. You are guaranteed to be in despair. Maybe not today, but at some point you will find that. We see that in our culture. We see that in our lives. So what do you settle for? What is that for you? If you're honest, if you look at your time, your devotion, your talent, your affection, what stirs your affection? What are those things? Is it minuscule or is it majestic? Is it regular water from a well that, sure, that's good, that's important, but it's not ultimate. What is that for you? Knowing those things is important because they will always disappoint Knowing those things is also important because you can today turn from those lesser gods and turn your face to the big G God, the God of glory. And you can, as Psalm 16 says, you can have at his right hand pleasures, not for a little while. How long? Forevermore. That's the opportunity before us as we worship. Our first point is true worship doesn't settle. Our second point is true worship confronts barriers. Look at verse 16 through 18. Verse 16, Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. She says, I don't, I don't have a husband. He says, I know, you've had five. And your living boyfriend right now, he, he's not your husband, right? Jesus essentially puts her on blast. And at first, when I read this, and maybe if you've even heard this story before, you might think, that's a little rude, Jesus. Like, how long have you been talking to this woman? And you're just like, call it. 
like adultery, affairs, just point them out in your life. Listen, if you do that today with somebody you just met, that's going to be a little bit rude. They're probably not going to come back to our church. Right? You, you take a little bit more time to do that, right? You take a, bit, a little bit of a relationship to do that. Not Jesus. Why? Is it because he's rude? Or is it because he's gracious? You see, the most gracious thing Jesus could have done for that woman, the most gracious thing Jesus can do for you is bring your sin, your shame to the surface, to call it out, to not let you stay another minute worshiping sin when you should be worshiping him. It's the most gracious thing Jesus could ever do. Now, doesn't mean, gracious doesn't mean it's not difficult. This was difficult for this woman. This isn't something she wanted put on blast, right? That's why she's at the well, as we learned earlier in verse 6, at the sixth hour of the day. That's noon. It's very intentional. Their climate in that day is much like our climate in Phoenix. Hot. What do you do at noon in Phoenix? You cuddle up by a fan. You try to survive. You don't go to the well. You don't go outside. But she does. Why? Because she's stuck in this sin and she's weighed down with shame. And so I want you to, to see this in the woman at the well. Her sin and shame that's getting brought to the surface here, it needs to be brought to the surface because it's affecting her everyday life. It's affecting when she goes to the well. It's affecting something just simple every day in her life. So my question for you is, do you have something like that? Do you have some some lust in your life, some gossip in your life, some pride in your life, some sin, some anger in your life that's gone unconfessed and that slowly, day by day, is balling up into shame? And it's affecting your everyday life. Do you have something like that? Before you can worship God, you must confront that. As you worship God, you must confront sin. You see, many times we, we diminish sin and we think, well, sin is a morality issue. I, I shouldn't do that. That's bad. Sin is a, a consequence issue. Like, if I do this, this will go bad. But ultimately, sin isn't about morality or consequences, although it involves those things. Ultimately, sin is a worship issue. How do we know? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. The Ten Commandments, right? Very moral. Our top ten in the Bible, the first three, are essentially can be summarized as, don't have any other gods before me. Don't glorify anything else but me. Sin isn't just about morality. It's not just about consequences. It is about worship, and it's a barrier. It's a divide for our worship. And some of you, you know this. You felt this even this morning as you tried to sing, as you looked at the lyrics, and we talked about the worth of God and the glory of God and your heart in the midst of that, and you felt like maybe I should sing a little bit. Maybe I should express my worship to God. But then you thought about what you did last night. 
And you thought about that habit and that cycle of sin that keeps popping up in your life. And you thought about that shame that feels like a cloud covering you every day. And you said, well, maybe I'll get right. I'll listen to the sermon. And then I'll worship. Maybe at some point, once I get married, once we have kids, once this doubt slips away, then I'll worship. We've all felt that, haven't we? And it's in that moment. God is is calling you. He's raising it to the surface, the most gracious thing he could ever do. To say, confess it. Repent of this. So you can be set free from this to worship me. So what barrier is in your life right now? Uh, Last week I mentioned uh, Togo, Africa. Uh, At this conference we went to, there was a lot of missionaries in in the church network we support. And one of them is uh, in Togo, Africa. And they talked about how lost and unreached that that people group is in Togo, Africa, but they talked about by God's grace, people are coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Ascribe to him the glory he is due. And one of the first things they did was go home and light a fire to some idols, some literal statues that they had been worshiping. Now for us, that doesn't really resonate because we don't have statues, but listen, we have idols in our heart that need to be broken down, that are barriers, that need to be brought to the surface, what are those for you that if you're honest today, you would say, I am hindered, inhibited in my worship because I have unconfessed sin that's acting as a barrier between me and God and my singing and my serving and my giving and my reading and my praying and my everyday living. What idols in your heart need to be burned down? confessed, repented of, so you can be set free to worship the one true God. True worship doesn't settle. It confronts barriers. Our last point is this. True worship isn't confined. Isn't confined. Look at verse 19 through 24. The woman at the well begins to shift the conversation, as many of us might in this moment where it's difficult, many of us right now are trying to shift the conversation in our head because we don't want to think about our sin, right? She does the same thing. She switches it to worship and place of worship specifically. She asks Jesus if she should, if they should worship on a place like a Samaritan mountainside, which was culturally the norm for them. She asks, or should we worship at the temple in Jerusalem, which is culturally the norm for Jewish people and Jesus' people. And so Jesus likes to keep us on our toes. And instead of answering her question directly, he's trying to make a bigger point, right? I would have thought Jesus would have said both. Samaritan mountain, Jewish temple, as long as you get your worship on, I don't care where you worship. I would have thought Jesus would have said that, but notice what Jesus says, verse 21. He says, neither, neither. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here. What's here? Who's here? Jesus. 
The hour has come. Jesus has arrived. The Messiah, the Son of God, has descended to earth. He is here. His presence is with us. Then the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So Jesus tells us how to worship in spirit and in truth, which is what the next three weeks of this series are going to be about. So I'll save that for the next three weeks as we talk about mind, will, and affections. But one thing Jesus makes clear to the woman at the well is the who is more important than the where. That, That worship is not confined to a place. That the point of worship is not a place. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. The point of worship isn't your culture. It's Christ. Right? And Jesus makes that broader point with this woman and with us. You see this vividly in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Just listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know how to see the light of the glory of God? A light shines in your heart. That's the light of the glory of God. But it's not pointing to just our massive universe in which we live, which is glorious. It's not just pointing to the beauty and the art and the songs that we enjoy. It's not just pointing to a building that we gather in on a Sunday. No, there's a light that's shining in our hearts that's shining like the biggest spotlight you can ever imagine, pinpointed accuracy toward what? The face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the light of the glory of God, you see the face of Jesus Christ. You see it through Christ in us as we glorify God. It's about a person, not a place. Our worship is not confined. Now, can we be honest for a moment? It's church. We can. Yes, is the answer. If we're honest, sometimes we miss this, don't we? Like even on a Sunday, maybe even this morning for some of you, we get up and we get ready for church. We put our Sunday best on. We look in the mirror and see, how do I look today? We start to think, who am I going to talk to today? How am I going to come across today? Now, none of you do this. I know this is just a me problem, but I'm just confessing right now to you. Right? None of us do this, but just, just bear with me. We show up to church maybe a little bit late. We leave just a little bit early, hoping that we'll go unnoticed. And if we get noticed, we got it down. We know what to say. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Blessings, brother. And then we walk away and we're like, why did I just say that? Like, I've never said that before in my life. The music starts. We, we roll in here. We find a seat, preferably in the back. We huddle up and, and, again, hope nobody notices us. And the songs come on, and that makes us feel a little bit more comfortable. But as the song comes on, we start to think, do I know this song? Do I like this song? Is this a hymn or a praise song? Who sings this song? If I sing this song, will anybody be around me looking at me while I sing this song? A few moments, that dissipates. The preaching begins. 
We tell you to grab your Bible, grab your Bible, go back and get a Bible, pull it up on your phone. And you're thinking, do I really need a Bible? I mean, I'm here. I made it to church. Tim, what do you want from me? I mean, I could just look at it on the screen. I'm going to listen to you. I'm good. And then we start to feel a little convicted about that. And then maybe a truth or two from God's word, we feel a little bit more convicted. And just as we start thinking about how we need to change, how we need to do something different, we think, I'm hungry. When's lunch? Have you been there? Sometimes we, we miss this, don't we? And as we miss this, the glory of God the magnitude of God, the majesty of God, as we miss this, we miss the point of life, the point of worship. Worship is not confined to a religious exercise, to a going through the motions, to what other people think about you. Worship is unleashed as your mind is awakened to his truth, as your heart is stirred to affection by the words of God, by the Son of God, by the Spirit of God, in God's people and through God's people. So are you missing this? Where are you missing this? Are you settling? Are you not confronting barriers in your life? Are you confining worship? Here's what we're doing in this series. Um, I have a deep desire that by the end of these six weeks, by the end of this morning even, that we would begin to set a culture, that we would plant a flag, that at Phoenix Bible Church, that we don't stand with arms folded, critical, bored, distracted, misplaced, religious, churchgoers going through the routine that over these next six weeks, that this morning even, that all of us in here would say, we're going to set a culture, we're going to plant a flag to be true worshipers where we, where we aren't that. We aren't looking at the minuscule and missing the majestic. No, we are looking and gazing at the beauty of God, the unrivaled glory of God, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and that we would respond to that with awe-inspired, truth-saturated worship. That's why we're going through this series. That's why we show up every Sunday. It's not just about a song. It's about a Savior to adore Him. It's not just a set list. It's being set apart by God, the God of the universe, the God in heaven. That's what this is about. That's what this series is about, to be a launching pad that you would continue as you leave this place to be a true worshiper. What's amazing about this is I'm not the only one looking for this. No, Jesus says in this passage, the Father is looking for worshipers like this. He's seeking them out. Isn't that amazing? My prayer is that as God seeks out worshipers like this, that he would find them here. That he would find a room full of them here. And that as people come in here and are struggling with barriers of sin, who are bored, who are stuck in religion, that we would set a tone, a culture, 
to where they couldn't help, but by the end of leaving this place, they would be awestruck and they would be true saturated as a true worshiper. That's why we're here. May God find some true worshipers at Phoenix Bible Church, starting today, starting with you and me. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray in this moment um, that we would not settle in our worship, that we wouldn't confine in our worship, that we wouldn't put you in a box because you won't fit there. But God, we would unleash the power of God, the glory of God in this place, as we leave this place, as, as true worshipers. God, I pray for these men and women that they would just know the opportunity before them here, know the beauty of the gospel, that in Jesus we can confess our barriers, we can confess our sin, sin. you can remove our shame, that in Christ you are just, you are faithful, gracious to forgive us and free us to worship you fully. God, I pray even now that we would recognize that you have created our hearts you have designed our vocal cords. You have designed our hands to be built-in instruments of worship to you. And God, I pray just as much as we're going to worship throughout the week, we would worship through song in this moment now and give you the glory that you are due. It's in the name and for the fame of Jesus we pray. Amen.